You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Dave knows how to build up someone's ego a little bit. Jeez. Um, it's, I, I enjoy doing it. It's a lot of fun, and I appreciate the opportunity. So um, just reading today uh, is going to be from John chapter 14. Um, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen me. Awesome, thanks so much. So I don't know if anybody's been in a moment uh, in their life like what's on the screen. I don't know if you've been in like some kind of amusement park moment. There's kind of like two different kinds of people in the world. There are people who get really hyped for amusement parks. And then there's the people who like the popcorn. It's just kind of like how that tends to work out. They like the popcorn and they like the bench is sort of how that looks. Uh, But others of you really enjoy moments like this. Uh, This is a ride called the Drop of Doom. And you can be on this ride at Six Flags. And, you know, you maybe know how this works. And you kind of get belted in. And they take you to the top. And your feet dangle. And your heart is somewhere, like, right up here. And then all of a sudden, it just drops. And it sends you all the way to the bottom. And this is a controlled environment, right? So, like, you're belted in. And you've watched, while you're in line, you've watched other people be taken to the top and then dropped to the bottom. You've watched this play out. So it's controlled and it's also predictable because you've watched it happen. But I need to tell you today that this is a picture for where the disciples are at. Like the disciples are in free fall. Like the bottom has dropped out in the story of the disciples. They've been following this Jesus guy for the last couple years. And they've watched him heal and they've watched him teach and they've learned from him about this kingdom that's not of this world. And then this Jesus guy gathers all of them in an upper room in a house that they did not own to have a conversation about what is to come. And they share a meal together and he washes their feet and then they watch Judas, uh, this person who is a deeply trusted person in the circle of the disciples, leave like they they watch him walk away they they watch him ultimately decide that there's another story that i want to be in there's another thing that i want to be about there's another truth that i want to pursue there's a there's another strength that i want to have within me and it's not this 
And so he steps out of that room and steps out of the community of the disciples. And so not only have the disciples watched that and they've listened to Jesus say like, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem and it's not for a party. It's not for a healing. It's not for a miracle. It's not for a keynote address. Like I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. My life is going to be taken. And this is not what the disciples were hoping would be the the ultimate end of their time with Jesus. And so the disciples, you can imagine like what's going on in their hearts. Like they're in free fall. Like the, the bottom has dropped out of their lives. And they're somewhere in the drop of doom, like halfway down, the moment when you're screaming and there's no sound coming out. That's where the disciples are. And it's just true today that the disciples are not the only people who know what it's like to be in free fall. They're not the only ones who know what it's like when the bottom drops out of life. Like this is the moment when your sister calls you and just talks to you about how dad's forgetting stuff. And there's a joke in there, blog was, and you always forgetting stuff. But no, it's a deeper forgetting. Like he's forgetting people's names. Like he's forgetting like things that he should know and remember. And your sister's talking to you about like, okay, is this like the beginning of something that like we've not wanted? Is this the beginning of some kind of dementia that dad's walking in? It sends the family in free fall. Free fall is the moment, not the first miscarriage, but the second one. When you're like, here we are again. Like we did this already. And we know the pain and the anguish and the heartache that this is. And the disciples aren't the only ones who know about free fall. Like when the bottom of life drops out. It's when cancer enters your story and there's conversations around transplants and chemotherapy and radiation and appointments. And now your life revolves not around the stuff that you want to do and the places you want to go, the things you want to be about. Now your life revolves around hospital visits and appointments and doctor's offices and all of that. The disciples are not the only ones who know about free fall. So yes, they are in upper room of a house they do not own, talking with their Lord and Savior and Messiah about what he is going to bring about for them, but they've also watched a close, trusted friend walk away. And so Jesus turns to them and wants to have a conversation. I mean, Jesus at this point, maybe has like 16 hours left in his life. If it's spring in Israel during this time, which is what we think, we don't actually know. We're guessing. You know, 8 o'clock, in the 8 o'clock hour, darkness and night, and Judas walks out. And then 9 o'clock in the morning is when Jesus is placed on the cross. And then at 3 o'clock, In the afternoon, scripture tells us, is when Jesus cries out for the last time, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then scripture tells us that he breathes his last. So 16 hours left. 
And Jesus needs to have some conversation with the disciples in the middle of their heartache, in the middle of their free fall, in the middle of when a life has dropped out. It's just good to know when that happens, God has a word. It's not just that God has a word before all of that. But that in that moment, in, in the midst of their free fall, in the middle of that, Jesus has a word to speak. And so I don't know where you are today in all of that. But if you find yourself in that place, if you find yourself in the middle of the free fall and you're screaming and there's no sound, the testimony of the scriptures is that the words of Jesus pierce through the free fall. That he's got a word. He's got something to speak. And we're going to unpack it a little bit today. John chapter 14. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And it's interesting because in chapter 13 of the book of John, you're like, wait, hold on, I have a question. Because in the 13th chapter of the book of John, John tells us that Jesus was troubled. So it's like, I don't like this. I don't like somebody telling me to not do something I just watched them do. That's like how I grew up. I don't like that very much, Jesus. And can I tell you, Jesus is saying, do not let trouble overwhelm your heart. It's not just saying, like, no, like, don't be sad. There's nothing to be sad about. Jesus is like, no, there's a ton to be sad about. Just make sure that there's more in your heart than just that trouble, that grief, that hardship, that pain. Like, make sure that there's room for hope in your heart. That there's room for strength in your heart. There's room for perspective in your heart. Because what do you need when you're in the middle of it? You need hope. And you need strength. And you need perspective. So Jesus wants to say, do not allow your hearts to be only filled with trouble. And he says, trust. You believe in God. You trust in God. Believe also in me, do not let your hearts be troubled. So I just have a question for the house today. Like, how's your heart? Like, what's in your heart today? Like, is there anxiety in your heart today? Is there worry in your heart today? Is there trouble in your heart today? If any of those things are true, then you can know a little bit about the moment that the disciples are in. Jesus turns to them and says, hey, you believe in God, believe also in me. As if to say, like, I'm not doing a different thing than God's been up to the whole way. Like that deal back in the book of Exodus, like when your grandfathers and grandmothers were carried out of Egypt by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God was doing that. And I'm doing the things that my father has done. So don't separate God and Jesus. This is an opportunity, a moment in the scriptures where, Je where the scriptures are trying to wink at us at that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit thing. You believe in God, you trust in God, believe and trust also in me. So he wants to talk 
to the disciples about three things. First, he wants to talk to them about their home. We need to have some conversation about their home. And then he wants to talk to them about his deepest longing. Like, what's the deepest longing of God? What's the deepest longing of Jesus? And then he wants to talk to them about their hope. And when you're in trouble, when you're in free fall, when the bottom of life has dropped out, it's good to know about where our home is and with whom our home is. And it's just good to know the deepest longing of God and it's good to know of our hope. And so that's kind of how Jesus packages this conversation. So if you look at verse 2 of John chapter 14, he says, In my father's house there are many rooms. And if you grew up around church and you're more wise than some people who are a little bit younger, you maybe grew up with a King James version of a Bible that says, In my father's house there are many, anybody, can anybody tell me? Yes. We got some King James people up in here. I didn't know that. Okay, I'll switch it up for next week. In my father's house, there are many mansions. And so, like, what's Jesus talking about? He doesn't go to describe the rooms, to describe the mansions. And I don't know, that that translation, we went from mansions to rooms. Anybody feel disappointed? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it feels like that's, that's a lot different. In my father's house, there are many rooms. He's not describing the rooms. He's not talking about the paint. He's not talking about what's on the wall. In my father's house, there's many rooms. I think Jesus just wants to remind the disciples in this moment that they're in, in my father's house, there's room for you. In my father's house, there's room for him. Whoever that him is. In your world and in the disciples' world. In my father's house, there's room for her, whoever that is. In my father's house, there's room for them. I happen to think this is a moment where Jesus is winking at the disciples a little bit, like the guy who just left. Can I tell you, in my father's house, there's room even for the person in a moment who did something that was really unthinkable from your perspective, my grace is higher than that. My grace is deeper than that. My love is more restorative than that. And so don't decide the outcome of somebody else's story. In my father's house, there's rooms and mansions. And if it weren't so, I wouldn't have started talking to you about it. And I think what's beautiful about this is that the dwelling of God is accessible to his people. It's not that like God is somewhere and we got to go find him. Like some kind of cosmic Easter egg hunt where we hope by the end of our life, You know, we're lucky enough to find God. Like he's not hiding from us. He's made himself accessible and near and present. Even in the very beginning of the scriptures, like Genesis chapter 3. 
Like we hear that God walks in the garden with the first humans, with Adam and with Eve. Like they're walking together and God's pleased to walk with them in, in the garden. That he's made himself present, he's made himself near, he's made himself available and accessible from the very beginning. And so if you would ask me today, like, you know, Dave, like, what's the centerpiece of the way of Jesus? What's the centerpiece of Christianity? I would tell you that there's really these two things. First is the incarnation of God saying to his people, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm present. And the other piece is resurrection. Well, what's resurrection about? Resurrection is about the victory of God over sin and death and hell forever. And we need to understand these two together. We need to understand incarnation and resurrection together. Because resurrection's fine. Victory's awesome. But without a God who's with us, like, what is it that we're enjoying? So I want the church to understand incarnation and resurrection like peanut butter and chocolate. Awesome, but together incredible. But God's with us, and that victory, the victory of God over sin and death and hell, actually changes the entire conversation. So incarnation and resurrection together. In the opening pages of the Bible, where is God? God's among his people. And you might be like, well, that's great. What about at the end of the Bible? I'm so glad that you asked. Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Don't you love that? God's now whispering with a loud voice, with an authoritative voice from the throne, saying, now the dwelling of God is where? Is with men and women, and he will live with them. So not only is he here, but he's interested. He's present and he's interested in being with you, in living with you. And they will be his people And God himself will be with them and be their God. So the opening pages of the scripture is the heart of God to be near his people. And the closing pages of scripture, Revelation 21, the heart of God is to be with his people. And so what's happening in the middle, what's happening in the middle is that Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so disciples, when Judas wants to live in a different story and live under a different name, know that I'm preparing a place for you in that moment. Know that we're in the garden and we're praying. And some of you are going to fall asleep and here come the Roman guards, the centurions with torches and swords and huge muscles. I don't know that they had them, but I'm going to guess that's the picture in my head. And Judas comes and he kisses me on the face. And they take me away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when they place me in that hole in the home of Caiaphas, 
where other prisoners have spent nights after night after night, know that in that moment, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's what I'm doing. Like, where is God? Like, what happened to this God who's present? What's happening? What's he doing? What's he about? He's preparing a place for you. And then they bring him in front of a huge crowd and they begin to punch him in the face. And they begin to spit on him and they begin to whip him. Again and again and again and again. What's happening? Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm preparing a place for you. Because in the opening pages of scripture, like I'm a God who has a longing to, to be among you, to be with you. And in the closing pages of scripture, what's my heart? What's my longing? What's my desire? is to be among you, to be with you. And what's happening in the middle is Jesus is making that possible. And when they put him up on a cross between two thieves, and people are mocking him and ridiculing him and saying, this is, what a joke. What's happening? What's God doing? He's preparing a place for you. Jesus needs the disciples to know that that's what's happening. That in the darkness and the light, in the tears and in the joy, in the hardship and in the glory, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is making a place for his people. Because he's been doing that from the very beginning. He's been doing that from the moment he says, let there be light, and there was light. This is the God of the scriptures. And the disciples, hearing all of that, can I tell you it doesn't change their free fall? Can I tell you that it hasn't changed the fact that the bottom has dropped out of their life? Can I tell you that it doesn't change the fact that they feel grief and they feel deep sadness and really strong confusion and doubt? I think Jesus needs the disciples to know that they're in a big story. But it's not just a big story, it's also a long story. And this is not the only moment that they will stand in. This hardship, this pain, this confusion, this doubt, this anger, it's not the only moment of their life. The story of God is big and the story of God is, is long. And you know, like, this is not really something that our culture likes very much. I mean, we could talk about, we could talk about this today if we wanted to, crockpots and microwaves. You know, some of you in the house who like to smoke meat in the summer, like you're not doing that in an hour. It's going to take a while. And so while it's convenient to throw something, to nuke something in the microwave, I don't know who came up with that term. That's always been like, oh, that sounds violent. It's quick. And it's like fairly simple except for the next person who has to clean up after you, but that's a kind of a different message for a different day about hospitality. But our culture has a hard time with long. Our world has a hard time with long. We would like for it just to be a big story and a quick story, where we can fast forward through seasons and times and moments that we don't like very much. 
And I think Jesus, mindful of the fact that there's an empty seat at the table, turns to the 11 and says, you need to know you're in a big story. But you're also in a long story. And I don't have a lot of time with you left, and I just need you to understand. I need you to understand your home. And then he's going to talk to them about his longing. In verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. And so this points to a question like, what is the deepest longing of God? Like, what is the thing that God desires most? What's the thing that he thirsts for? There's lots of things in the scriptures that he wants, that he desires. But the deepest longing of God is to be with his people. Exodus chapter 3, God notices his people in pain, in hardship, in slavery. And we hear these action words from God like, I have seen, I've heard, and so I have come. I've come to rescue, to repair, and to restore. And then in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is teaching and talking, and there's a bunch of kids. And the kids are trying to get to Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever, like, stopped a little kid from trying to do something that they wanted to do. They're, like, quick and nimble, right? They got a quick first step if you're not ready. And I imagine these kids just, like, wanting to get closer to Jesus. And the disciples are trying to shut them down. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Like, let the little children come to me. Why? Because, like, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you see? Like, this is Exodus chapter 3 continuing to play out. Like, the deepest longing of God. This is the moment in the ministry of Jesus when he's trying to show everyone the deepest longing of God is for us to be together. And so we see it in Exodus 3, we see it in Matthew 19, and then we're going to see it again in John 17. So this is like the very end of the conversations Jesus has with the disciples. So John 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all these critical conversations, we're calling it. John 17, Father, and he's praying, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So what's Jesus want? I know it looks like one big word up in there. I don't know how that happened. (laughs) But I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. The deepest longing of God that we would be together. And I think sometimes some of us, try not to get soapboxy here, but have grown up with the Jesus who had the deepest longing is that you would behave. The deepest longing of God is that you would get it right. The deepest longing of God is that you would just grow up. That you would knock it off. I don't know what kind of church you grew up in, but that's very common. And I'm sorry, but like the deepest longing of God is that you would be together. He's saying it, not me. Well, I'm saying it, but I'm saying it because he said it. 
And here's the wonder of it all, church. Like the wonder of it all is, is not that there's going to be a moment where God's going to like let you into heaven. But the wonder of it all is that, that God's mindful of being with us. That like when God imagines the world that is to come, when God imagines heaven, what does he imagine? He imagines being with you. You can't imagine like not being with you. Because like he's come so that you might be together. A a lot of us over the last couple years, especially in 2020, we watched sports on TV, and it sort of looked like this. So yes, I'd put my favorite player in the universe on the screen because I'm in charge so I can do that. But like, there's nobody there. Like they're playing in this like empty stadium. And I don't know, like we could ask these athletes, like these people who played in empty stadiums, like, like did it change the dynamic? Like did it feel different? Like, what was the point of, like, being on that field and competing and leveraging your strength and your gifts? It's because, like, to do that in the presence of others. Like, there's something powerful about that. And so the deepest longing of God is that we would be together with him. I'm going to invite the band up as we close this morning. So we've talked about their home, we've talked about the deepest longing of God, and then at the kind of the end of this section, Jesus shares about the hope that we have. And so Jesus shares this verse that if you've been around church, you've heard 11 billion times. I was trying to think of the biggest number I could think of in the moment. 11 billion is the biggest one I can think of. And Jesus turns to his disciples who are in free fall. The bottom of their life has been pushed away. And he says, I am the way. And I'm the truth. And I'm the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through me. So if you're looking for another way, there's just not one. If you're looking for another truth, there's just not one. If you're looking for another life, there's just not one. And that's a hope that you can hold on to when you are in free fall. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And I don't know what the disciples are thinking when Jesus is being crucified and when he's died. But I wonder if some of the disciples are thinking about those words, like I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And I wonder like when the disciples get old, and they're no longer young men and they're not really able to pull the nets out of the boat anymore and they watch other teenagers do it. And they're like, oh, remember when we did that every day? What were we thinking? Like, I wonder if they're thinking like of the words of Jesus, he's the way, he's the truth and the life. And, you know, close to the end of the life of Peter, he's an old man now and he's writing a letter to a group of people, to a church who's trying to discern what does it look like for us to live the way of Jesus? What does it look like for us to live out the way in which Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? 
in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You heard that around church before? I get frustrated that we stop reading. If you notice, there's a period, and then there's another sentence that we sometimes neglect, and we need to include it. Peter says, but do this with gentleness and respect. So always be prepared to give a a reason for the hope that you have. But it's a mistake to not do that with gentleness and to not do that with respect. And several years ago, there was a few teenagers who showed up to my house with white shirts and black ties and a little sign right here on the pocket square. And I was excited to welcome them and uh, we were getting ready to go somewhere. We were trying to leave. And I told Michaela, I was like, hey, are you okay if I, she's like, yeah. She's used to it. She knows. And we just had a conversation about Jesus and about who Jesus is. And they wanted to share the gospel with me, and so I listened and asked some questions, and we had what I thought was a really great conversation, and that was a couple years ago, and I got a text message this week as I was working on all this and wanted to kind of talk more about some of these things, and So I shared truthfully my perspective on who Jesus is. And we spent a few hours this week going back and forth and sharing ideas and sharing thoughts. And and I just thought about this passage that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And like be prepared, like enter into those moments with people. But do so with gentleness and respect. Because it's sort of what we see Jesus doing. And it's interesting to me that when the bottom of the life of the disciples drops out and when they're in free fall, Jesus doesn't just want to talk about the moment when they're going to be in that. But Jesus wants to share a word, to speak a word to them in the middle of that that's also going to be for others. Like, hey, talk with others about how I'm the way. Like, talk with others about how I'm the truth. Talk with others about how I'm the life. And I wish I could say my, like, text message conversation this week, I know how that's all going to work out. I know how that's all going to end. And, like, actually, they're here. They're just in the hallway, and they're going to come in. No, it's not the moment that we're in today. But can I tell you that like in moments of my life when I've been in free fall, when the bottom has dropped out, like when I've been in that moment, it's the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus that's anchored me. It's not taken away the free fall, but it's anchored me in the free fall. And so when Jesus is talking with his disciples about that, it's not just for them, but I think it's also for us. So in the house of God, there's mansions. We'll go with the King James. And in the plan of God, there's relationship with you. Is the deepest 
longing he has. And I don't know about you, but I believe that changes a little bit the moment that we're in when we're in the midst of trouble. To know that he has a place for us and he has a desire for us and he has a word for us as the way, the truth, and the life. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.